This is Eyewitness News up close with Bill Witter. On the night of my election victory, I promised the people of Long Island and Queens I would deliver a simple message to this chamber. Wake up. The people are sick and tired of the finger pointing and the petty partisan bickering. Tom Swasey with a rather strong message to Congress as he's sworn in for what is his second go-round of the House of Representatives as the new congressman this time of New York's 3rd District. His new job comes at a time when Congress is dealing with a range of huge and highly debated issues, from the seemingly ongoing threat of a government shutdown, a border crisis, an unfunded war in Ukraine, and the endless violence in Gaza. Congressman Tom Suozzi is our first guest this morning. Plus, how are New York City's finances as it deals with the migrant crisis and the economy that tries to recover from getting hit hard by COVID? This morning, we talked to Brad Lander, the Comptroller of New York City. Hi, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Up Close. I'm Bill Ritter. The Democrats winning back a congressional seat with the victory last month and the swearing in this past week of one Tom Suozzi, who was out of the Congress for 14 months. Seems like a lot longer than that, right? Given what happened to the man who took his place, George Santos, and he was later expelled. Now, Mr. Suozzi has his seat back, but he's got to run again come November. It's going to be a busy 2024 for Congressman Suozzi. He joins us now. And Congressman, congratulations on your victory. Bill, I got to run again. What's going on? I have to do it again. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm breaking the news for you. I'm sure you didn't know that. Well, let's start off with that right away. Uh, you got to run again. And it's not very long from now. Uh, are you going to run against your same opponent, do you think? I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. I, they're, we're waiting to hear from them who they're going to actually run. And, uh, you know, whoever it is, I'm going to run the same message. Uh, we've got to work together. We've got to solve these problems, the chaos at the border, cost of living. Uh, my big thing is I want to try and heal this division or help heal this division that we have in our country uh, in Congress. That's a big part of what my speech was about the other night. Yes, we, we heard it. We only played 15 seconds of the five minute speech and people can see it online anywhere. But but tell us tell us what you tried to accomplish with that speech. I think that, you know, what I hear from Democrats and Republicans and independents is We've got all these problems and like, what about me? What are you doing for me? You know, all you're doing is fighting with each other and it's all this this never ending attacks. And, uh, you know, I said uh, we've had it with the with the shutdowns and the put downs and the hyperbole and the histrionics and the drama and the theater. You know, let's let's get back in the solutions business. So you look at the border and everybody's upset about the border and there's a bipartisan deal on the table that's the most uh strict, fair border deal you've seen in 35 years, it would close the border. It would dramatically in, reduce the inflow of migrants into the country, certainly stop people from coming to New York in, in such big numbers. Uh, and the deal's in place, Democrats and Republicans in the Senate. And what happens? And former President Trump shows up and he says, you know, I don't want you to make a deal because I don't want to give Biden a victory. Which is so interesting, to, right? Yeah. Because that was the Republicans' platform, basically. That proposal was what they wanted oh, to accomplish. This is this was endorsed by the Wall Street Journal. It was endorsed by the Chamber of Commerce. It was endorsed by the head of the Border Patrol Union, who's a big Trumper. I mean, you're not going to find a better deal than this. And uh, it didn't happen. It doesn't make sense to me. You know, they keep on saying, oh, it'll let 5,000 people, 5,000. No, 5,000 people will be processed. 90% of those people will be processed within weeks instead of years will be sent out of the country right away because they won't qualify. 
So it's 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 really a shame. I know the Republican that negotiated this, a senator from Oklahoma. You're not going to find a more conservative, honest, intelligent, hardworking person. And you know, as he says, you know, I got I got us a a, a twelve ounce ribeye, and my colleague said we got to have a twenty ounce ribeye, or we're not going to take it, which is absurd. And it's just I I so what do you say? To you? What does it say to you, Congressman? Because. You know, what it says is to a lot of people, just Americans, politics aside, it says that personal needs trump the country's needs. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Well, there's a lot of cowardice. People are being bullied by their base. And I'm finding there's so many good people in Congress on both sides of the aisle, really good people. But I talked to a lot of people this week for the, you know, whatever it was, 72 hours I was there this week. And there's just very discouraged. Uh, So many people. Why did you come back? What are you doing? What are you crazy? What are you what are you coming back for? It's a mess. So it's what did you working. come back for? Why did you come back? Because I love our country and I, and I and I believe I have something to offer to help solve this. And, you know, I, I really it was a great honor to give the speech that I gave on the floor of the Congress. I, I've said I've given 50 speeches on the floor before, but it was it's usually with 10 people in the room and it's on C-SPAN. This was with all my colleagues there. And I had, you know, hundreds of supporters in the room as well. And I gave this speech and I said you know, we've got to work together. Try and remember why you ran for office in the first place. Let's let's all have a fresh start and get back to why we did this in the first place. And it was exciting. You know, it was like, you know, the State of the Union, how like the Democrats stand up for some things and Republicans stand up for other things. And, you know, I'm playing with them, trying to get them to all stand up at different times. It was very exciting. So it's cool. You were considered a moderate Democrat, a middle of the road. You had passed a legislative bill once about this with Pete King. Republican congressman from your area on Long Island. Uh, what was the reaction and, and what do you think the current state is of Congress? Because it, it has been kind of a, a do nothing Congress this year. They haven't accomplished anything. And I said that in my speech. I said, you know, the, the extremists are getting all of the attention and uh, we're not accomplishing anything. And, you know, we have to get back, as I said, into the solutions business. That was uh, actually an expression Bill Clinton gave me. <laughs> I called him. I said, "Any advice?" I say, "We want to be in the solutions business." So I, said, I like that. I, so I how do you idea. do that? How do you make that happen, Congressman? You have to build these relationships. You have to build personal trust. And uh, I have a lot of friendships with a lot of people. And I'm, I'm, I've already started saying, "Hey, come on, let's do this together." Hey, let's do that together. So I'm hopefully going to be doing some stuff with the Long Island Congressman. These guys all worked against me on my campaign. I'm saying, let's work together on salt. Let's let's try and get something done. Uh, I got appointed to the Homeland Security Committee. You know, I'm looking to get back on Ways and Means. It's a very important committee, but there's not a spot there uh, right now. So unless someone leaves, I can't get back on until after the November elections, assuming I get elected. You, so they asked me to go on on on, way, on uh, Homeland Security because the Democrats want me to be involved in negotiating to get something done on immigration. Uh, so that's a great honor. And another guy has asked me to be the co-chair of the Democratic Border Security Caucus, which is a big deal because, you know, the people usually involved are the ones who are from Texas or right. the people who are on the border. So that and he's a Latino guy. And he asked me to join him as the co-chair. So uh, I'm going to I'm going to work. I've got three big priorities in the short term. One is work on getting a border border deal done. Uh, the president's State of the Union is going to be very important on that topic next week. Two is work on state and local tax deduction. And three, work on healing this division that we have in our country. And, you know, four, I guess, would be I, there's so much money out there from the infrastructure bill. 
and from the Inflation Reduction Act, which is a lot of environmental stuff, I want to bring money back to New York. Work on a border deal, state and local tax deductions, and, uh, you know, Wow, I, I, it's it's just healing, it's, healing the division. You know, no, I have that. I, it's, it looks all in, impossible. I mean, that's what a lot of people will say. Do you think it's that, impossible? You know, I said that in my speech. I said, you know, everybody thinks Democrats and Republicans can't work together. And they said, Tom, you got to face the real world. And what I, my response is, the real world is not something we must simply face. The real world is something that we, as free men and women, have to actively create. We make the real world. So. And we've got to make this happen. This is what the people want. So many Republicans want this. So many Democrats want this. So many Republicans in your area want state and local tax deductions. Again, SALT, that state and local tax, um, because they were hurt badly. People on Long Island, as they were in New York and all the tri-state area and all the northeast places and all the California places, were hit hard by this. A tax pushed by then-President Trump, who you know, interestingly, didn't allow the real estate industry, including him, to be capsized by this by this new division. Um, State and local taxes mean a lot. Ten thousand dollars is the maximum you can deduct when it used to be tens of thousands. All the money you paid for your real estate taxes and your constituents paid a lot in real estate taxes. You didn't get to deduct it. Just uh, not just just your property taxes, but your state income taxes taxes. as well. This is a body blow to New Yorkers and to all the states you mentioned and others, you know, Chicago, Massachusetts, uh, Delaware, Maryland. So, so many states are hurt by this and so many people are hurt by this. And it's totally unfair. Uh, and, and they said, hey, President, this is going to hurt, hurt all these states. President Trump, it's going to hurt all these states. He said, well, they didn't vote for me anyway. I mean, the cynicism of some of the things that uh, we see happening are just so wrong. We're not going to get that back this year. But I'm going to build the coalition this year of Democrats and Republicans in the House. I'm going to get governors and mayors. I'm going to get firefighters and teachers. I'm going to get the real estate people. Uh, I'm going to get the uh, different uh, homeowner groups. And I'm going to build a coalition. So when this expires next year, the cap expires, and they try and put it back in place again, we're going to be ready for them, and we're going to win this fight. Uh, We passed it through the House three times when I was in Congress before. They haven't gotten a first base since I've been gone. We'll pass it through the House, but we're going to get the Senate to do it as well. Congressman, good. I I, I do want to talk a little bit before we run out of time about what's happening in the Middle East. This past week, uh, on Thursday, 112 people were killed. Uh, Two sides saying two very different stories, but the the videos certainly showed a lot of people dead. Um, Why can't there be a ceasefire in Gaza, at least and until we can figure out and both sides can figure out, we being the, the race, the human race of the world, can figure out how to bring peace to the Middle East. Why can't there be a ceasefire? If the Hamas would lay down its weapons and release the hostages, there could be. Uh, but until that time, people are terrified that, you know, Hamas is not some loose confederation of desert soldiers. They are a sophisticated, disciplined terror army that has the mission of destroying Israel and killing Jews. That's their mission. They've said, we'll do it again, we'll do it again, we'll do it again. And, you know, I'm hoping that we can team up with uh, Israel and with Saudi Arabia and the other Sunni Arab states uh, to be a bulwark against Iran and get Hamas and Hezbollah and the others out of power and rebuild the lives of these people that have been hurt so badly. Yeah. Uh, but. You know, I'm, I've invited the, the uh, um, parents of a hostage who are from my district, the hostages from my district also, uh, to the State of the Union next week. 
I, I'm hoping that the president can get his way with uh, Bibi Netanyahu and with the Saudis and make a deal here. I mean, that's we need a deal. But it's, we have to recognize that the Hamas, if people had come to us and said, hey, Osama bin Laden wants to make peace. He's really sorry for what he did. Uh, and he is not going to do it again. He has only one condition. He wants to live in Staten Island. There you go. Would we have gone for that? You know, you got people living right next door to you that want to kill you. We, uh, We're going to say, well, you trust li- you. You live in an area where it, it's a, a lot of people live here from all ports, all ports of the world, all relation, relation, religions, all walks of life. And we make it work. I wish that someone from the Middle East could do the same thing. I think we all do. Uh, Tom Swazi, good luck on your reelection bid, which starts, I guess, next week. So, so, Thanks you so got, much, Phil. Just got I, I'm glad you told me. I'm glad you told well, me. Well, I am too, because that would have been kind of embarrassing for you not to realize that. Uh, Tom Swazi, uh, thanks again. Congratulations on your return to Congress. Yeah, Bill. Thanks so much. Really appreciate you. Now to our second guest, and one of the most fascinating jobs, I think, in New York City. But most people think of it as, you know, a debits by the window, credits by the wall kind of job. But no, the controller of the biggest city in the country is not a bookkeeper, is not an accountant. The controller does, however, keep track of all the money in New York City and the money we're spending and the money we're making for people with pensions, et cetera. And sometimes, as we've seen over the years, the controller and the mayor of New York City don't always get along. We welcome back to Up Close Brad Lander, 51st controller of New York. If my addition, Mr. Lander, is correct, 51st. Is that right? Uh, we think it's 45, which wow. I'd, I'm depressed by. I'd much rather be the 51st controller than the 45th controller. So I'm going to have the audit team. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, maybe I counted wrong or maybe I was looking at something from the early 1800s, which I was doing. So maybe that doesn't count. But on to bigger and greater things. Um, Mr. Lander, you, you did make some news this past week with an audit of how New York City was hiring no bid contractors to deal with the asylum seeker crisis. So what did you find out? Yeah, and it really was worse than that. It wasn't only no-bid contractors. It was that for all of the staffing services that an asylum seeker facility needs, the security guards, the case managers, uh, the managers on site, four different agencies had hired four different staffing contractors, three of them with no-bid contracts, and were getting wildly varying prices. So for a security guard, you know, there were some folks that were paying 50 bucks an hour, and there were other folks that were paying 120 bucks an hour, way beyond even what the prevailing wage that's required for a security guard yeah. is. Um, and that means we're wasting millions of dollars more than we need to be paying. And- the whole idea of bidding is that contractor that gives you the $50 security guards, those are the ones you hire, and you can spend, spend a lot less money if you're using either bidding or at least coordination across these contracts rather than just paying whatever the well, contractors are. And we could have a debate, you know, maybe that that company had better, the more expensive one had had better guards. You know, you just don't know. The, the, the bigger issue is, wasn't this a crisis? Didn't they need to get this stuff done right away? I, I remember in the pandemic, the same thing happened here in New York City. We had to yeah. get this stuff muy pronto. Yeah, it's exactly. So in, La- you know, in July of 2022, as asylum seekers started to arrive and the city had no idea this was happening and they had to move so rapidly to scale up services, fine. If they had issued one no-bid contract in July of 2022 and for a couple of months used it, I wouldn't be screaming now. But here we are nearly two years later 
Um, and don't forget, we're talking about four different agencies doing overlapping work. There has been plenty of time yeah. for City Hall to coordinate across these contracts. So say, why okay, didn't they? Why didn't it? Uh, because they have stayed in emergency mindset, even though it's 20 months later and there would have been plenty of time to procure better. Let me give you one quick example. Okay. Like when there's a fire and a building needs to be demolished, we have an on-call con, that's an emergency, but every periodically we do an RFP and we have on-call contractors from multiple demolition companies. We get emergency service, but still competitively bid pricing. Okay, let's move on uh, just from, from that. I, but what, well, briefly, did the mayor respond to you during that audit? Uh, what I will say is often when they think the audits are no good, they say so. And in this one, I didn't hear really a word oh. out of City Hall. So I'm taking that as a good sign that they're studying it and saying to their agencies, hey, guys, uh, we need to spend the taxpayers. OK, money let's let's talk in the, the broader perspective, Mr. Lander. Uh, how how what kind of situation financially is the state, the city of New York right now? Uh, fortunately, the city actually is the fiscal uh, situation in the short term is is pretty good revenue has been above plan every quarter of the last two years you know we started this year with uh, essentially what could have been for next year a several billion dollar deficit uh revenues are five billion dollars more than we projected so we're going to end this fiscal year june 30th uh with a small surplus that we're going to be able to roll over to next year um, there's work to do on next year's budget for sure. That's what the city council and the mayor are doing now. Um, and we sure have some long-term challenges, but honestly, we've been fortunate that the city's economy is growing. We have more jobs than we had prior to the pandemic. Um, and if we get good management, and that's a big if, and we've got a lot of areas where we have to do better, um, we actually can continue to invest in the things that people need in affordable housing, yeah. in good public schools, in clean and safe streets. Uh, and make sure that our economy keeps growing and thriving. You said we need better management. What do you mean specifically? We've given a lot of areas. We actually just released a report yesterday looking at uh, the budget. And we think there's a number of areas where there's, you know, what I think of as like short-sighted or penny-wise pound foolish cuts to CUNY or to public libraries. But there's some key areas like uniformed overtime grows every year without accountability, much of it for planned events. Uh, claims against the city. Last year, we paid out $1.5 billion in claims against the city for things like traffic crashes caused by mm -hmm. city vehicles. And there's no accountability or management. Um, special education Carter cases are another area where we just not managing those things well. We could manage our capital projects more effectively. Um, that's all hard work, but that's where you could save hundreds of millions of dollars that we can then spend more effectively on the things New Yorkers really need. And Mr. Comptroller, you, you say we, or needs better management. Are you talking about specific managers? Or are you talking about the mayor of New York? Well, obviously there's a lot of city agencies, so it's a it's a big issue. You know, the administration is broad. You know, um, there are some agencies that I think are actually doing a great job. I could give the sanitation department. I think that new containerization work yeah. they're doing. And, you know, so I think- Get rid of the rats. And, yeah. you know, dealing with the rad. So that's an area where I actually give high marks. Um, there are other agencies that I think have big challenges. We just put out a big report about the city's housing department, right. which lost so many staff during the pandemic and a lot of long term management and wisdom. And they need to reboot their operations if we're going to hit our ambitious housing goals. We so it's agency, agency yep. by agency, but obviously City Hall is in the driver's seat. Ten seconds left or ten seconds for the answer. You think you're running for mayor? 
<laughs> I love this job as New York City controller. Uh, we're still only two years into this term, and we'll get to 2025 yeah. when it's a little closer. We got big elections this year. We are two really years and two months into the term. Thank you, Brad Lander. Really That's appreciate fair. it. Good luck. Straight ahead, Great our political team on the dueling presidential visits to the border. Next. People who disappear without a trace. Where is she? The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen. Let's get right to our political team, ABC News political director Rick Klein and political consultant Hank Scheinkopf. Gentlemen, there are 4,500 different issues we could begin with, and I'm not sure which one we should begin with. I'm going to go like this. Okay, the Supreme Court. And what did it just do this past week? And why didn't they start talking about it a month and a half ago? Rick? They did a huge favor for Donald Trump. It's almost like an in-kind contribution to his campaign to give him this kind of time. Uh, everything around his legal strategy and his political strategy is playing the clock. And he got the Supreme Court to agree to hear this challenge to a uh, really unusual uh, claim that, uh, that that he enjoyed full presidential immunity uh, for anything he did as president. The appeals court rejected it. Um, it took them a while to do it. But it was a few weeks ago, and now the court's finally saying they're going to hear it. They're not going to hear it to the end of April. They could decide on it, you know, whenever they want. Realistically, there's no trial in that Jack Smith um, uh, January 6th related uh, case until uh, late summer and into the fall. And it's very possible, if not probable, that even if the court rejects it out of hand, he's not going to stand trial at all on this before the election. Because it's too late, right, Henry? Absolutely too late. What he should do, though, is buy some chocolates and flowers and send them to every member of the Supreme Court for bailing them out and making the conspiracy <laughs> argument that he was suddenly, you know, taking, he was purposely set upon by the media and by the politicians overall. You know, he's made that, they've made that real now. Okay, let's, let's talk about one more brief thing about this particularly, because there's a lot of talk among a lot of people, different sides of everything, uh, that maybe Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas uh, should, you know, not be, not be weighing in on this because his wife was an organizer for the one of the January 6 rallies. Rick? Yeah, look, I, there's no enforcement mechanism for that. I think by the letter of the law, a lot of judges on, at, a, at another level would almost be forced to recuse themselves, but there's nothing that forces Clarence Thomas to do that. And, you know, I don't know that anyone has control of the Supreme Court right now, but I don't think it's Chief Justice Roberts. Um, this is a conservative majority, uh, they, and they're done they're, you know, because of Trump. And it's really in a kind of an odd week. We heard Mitch McConnell saying he's stepping down from leadership. Part of his legacy are those three court justices on the court. And part of their legacy might be making it easier for Trump to become president all over again, whether that's what McConnell intended or not. This is kind of a mess, Henry. It is a terrifically bad day for democracy. But, you know, look, why would we ask Clarence Thomas to do the right thing when those in, when he hasn't done it thus far? Excusing himself, get recusing himself would be the appropriate thing to do to protect democracy. But that's not really his interest. OK, I do want to talk about Mr. Biden uh, next. But uh, but actually, first, really quickly, Rick, you were in a meeting on the record as, as a reporter uh, with uh, Nikki Haley this last week. How long does she stay in this race? You know, that she is not committing to anything beyond Super Tuesday. Uh, what she's saying is if she does well and continues to get votes, she she may see a path forward. But She's not even, I think, at this point, pretending like there's a chance for her to win the delegates to, to overtake Trump. It's all about sending a signal, sending a message. And to her mind, getting 30, 40 percent in a bunch of primaries is the warning sign that she wants to send to the Republican Party. But this sure feels like a campaign that is winding down. She's not particularly happy about it. And she's still not ruling out potentially running as an independent under no labels or something else. But I think this is the end. And I think Tuesday, Super Tuesday, with this huge group of states voting across the country is probably the end of any challenge. And 
really the, the de facto start of the general election campaign. Uh, it's a matter of hours at this point about t- Super Tuesday. Hank, if you were the political consult- consultant to the former governor, uh, what would you tell her? Save her money and buy a house. That would be a good idea. The idea that somehow she's going to believe that people will remember this. I can tell you the names of multiple candidates that we're staying in this because there's a future. No, there's no future. Go away and come back maybe in four years if you're lucky. Okay, really quickly, gentlemen, about 30 seconds each. Uh, let's talk about President Biden. He and former President Trump were at Texas at the same time this last week. Um, what's he look like right now, Rick? Well, I, look, I think there's an argument to be made that she needs to lean in on this issue, but there's also an argument to be made that anytime he's talking about the border is a time that's good for Donald Trump. A lot of Americans are, are seeing the chaos at the, at the border and equating it with the rising crime in cities and looking at Trump's leadership versus Biden leadership, and Biden doesn't look that great. And But I think he's going to need split screens like this, State of the Union in this coming week on Thursday, a huge moment for him. Hank, you got the last word on this. Bomb the State of the Union address. Don't do well. He's in real trouble. Do well. This could turn the tide very quickly and create a new momentum for his, frankly, majority. Should be an interesting month. March will be in politics. Uh, Rick Klein, Hank Shankoff, as always, gentlemen, thanks for your insights. Take care of yourself. Thanks, Bill. All right. Thank you, Bill. And we'll be right back. That's going to do it for this edition of Up Close. Tiempo with my pal Joe Torres is coming up next. If you missed any of today's programs, not to worry. I'm going to post today's segments on my Facebook page sometime tomorrow. And you can watch the show on our new podcast. Yep, we made the big time. And on any of our ABC7 NY platforms, that's where you can see the podcast. Thank you all for watching. I'm Bill Ritter. And for all of us here at Channel 7 Eyewitness News, we wish you health and peace. And let's take care of each other. <laughs>